Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert and the November issue of Nevada Public Radio's Desert Companion has a map written by your late night announcer. So if you're passing through Las Vegas, the Las Vegas suburbs, Clark County, the general area, hopefully you picked up a copy of this issue. It's got a nice illustrated map to accompany the text, but half the descriptions did not make the issue due to space considerations space on the printed page. So I figured I'd tell you about these places tonight. And if you want to see the map, you can go to our website, desertoracle.com, and I've got it linked there. This drive makes for a nice two or three or five day road trip around the Mojave as long as nothing terrible happens to you along the way. And it's going to start on the eastern edge of Death Valley National Park, a little hole in the ground that goes straight to hell itself, maybe. And if you are making a desert road trip, always plan accordingly. Let somebody know where you're going if you have anyone who cares. And if you don't have anyone who cares, let them know over at the National Park Visitor Center. Bring plenty of water. Bring plenty of beer. You never know what the beer situation is going to be. Bring some shoes. You don't want to go staggering around in the desert in a pair of flip-flops or high heels or whatever. Bring some hiking boots or tennis shoes or galoshes. doesn't really matter. Be prepared. Give a hoot. Stop one on our desert tour is Devil's Hole on the aptly named Devil's Hole Road in Nye County, Nevada. This National Park Service protected opening to an ancient limestone aquifer with 92 degree Fahrenheit water is home to the endangered Devil's Hole pupfish and has been fenced in like a prison yard since two young divers vanished below at 1965. Goldstone Deep Space Communications Complex at 93 Goldstone Road, Fort Irwin, California. One of three deep space network antenna sites in remote spots around the world, Goldstone's giant antennas south of Death Valley National Park allow communication with NASA's far-flung satellites, space probes, and robot rovers. 
it is closed to the public. Next, we have Barker Ranch, Goler Wash Road, also in Death Valley National Park, following the Tate LaBianca murders in Los Angeles. Charles Manson and his family hid at this remote Panamint Mountains ranch until their arrest for suspicion of car theft and vandalism in Death Valley. Only some burnt-out remains and foundations remain to amuse the morbid visitor. And back on the Nevada side, we have Ash Meadows Sky Ranch. On East Nye County Road, number 266, Amargosa Valley, Nevada, long abandoned but once the fanciest brothel in Nevada, complete with an airstrip, a restaurant, and a swimming pool. It was here at the bar where Edward Abbey wrote Desert Solitaire on breaks from his school bus driver job in Death Valley. Hemingway Park. No, not Hemingway. It's Hemingway. Nobody knows why. Boulder City, Nevada. You want to arrive before sunrise. Sit quietly at the picnic tables and you will likely see more desert bighorn sheep coming down to eat the park's green grass than you would in years of wilderness hiking. Don't tell anybody. And then to the Art Bell Home and Radio Station, 9041 Desert Lane in Pahrump. The legendary late-night radio host died in 2018, but you can drive by his Kingdom of Nye compound with its radio towers lining Thorn Road. And please just drive by and enjoy the view as this is a private residence and Art is no longer there anyway. Goldwell Open Air Museum, 1 Golden Street, Rhyolite, Nevada. Home to Albert Sukowski's ghostly sculpture, The Last Supper, and also home to a 25-foot-tall naked Lego lady. This eight-acre outdoor museum is the center of the intriguing ghost town of Rhyolite. Don't miss the bottle house. Onward to Little Alien, 9631 Old Mill Road, Rachel, Nevada. Converted to an alien-themed bar and diner in 1991 to serve UFO tourists here to see the weird lights over Area 51. This friendly stop on the extraterrestrial highway has appeared in the X-Files. Desert National Wildlife Refuge, headquarters at 16001 Corn Creek Road in Las Vegas, a half dozen mountain ranges, piney campsites, and abundant desert wildlife can be found in this 1.6 million acre national treasure just north of Las Vegas. And the Trump administration is trying to steal most of it to expand the bombing range next door. Enjoy it while you can. And after that kind of adventure, you're going to need a beverage. So head over to the Pioneer Saloon, 310 Nevada 161 in Good Springs, Nevada. 
This legendary watering hole north of Jean was built in 1913. And it was here that Clark Gable waited out the search on a nearby mountaintop where his wife Carol Lombard was among the 22 killed in the January 1942 crash of TWA Flight 3. Next we have the Singing Dunes of Kelso, Kelso Dunes Trail, in the middle of Mojave National Preserve, which you can access from Baker, California. Here you will find 45 square miles of shifting sand dunes. The eerie chorus of goblin voices you hear while walking the crest of a dune is created by sand shifting under your weight. Or maybe there are really goblins, I don't know. Zizek's Road, Desert Studies Center, Zizek's, California, off the I-15, Doc Curtis Springer, an old-time radio evangelist and miracle cure huckster, had Los Angeles winos build his health resort here on the old Mojave Road at Soda Springs. But he was evicted by the Bureau of Land Management in 1974 because he had no right to build there. Rocket Site Road, Air Force Propulsion Lab, Boron, California. Just southwest of Boron is a harsh desert mountain lined with the hulks of old and new rocket engines. Lumen Ridge, the rocket test site run by NASA and Edwards AFB. Don't get caught up there. Now, if you watched the third season of Twin Peaks, you might enjoy seeing Agent Cooper in Diane's Desert Motel. It's at 13250 Pear Blossom Highway in Pear Blossom, California. After performing some sort of electrical voodoo ritual at a utility tower-lined section of nearby Mount Emma Road, the characters stop for a last weird night at the spooky Pear Blossom Motel, which is a real motel. Stay there if you dare. Goff's Schoolhouse, 37198 Landfair Road in Goff's, California. This 1914 mission-style schoolhouse served a scattered and... We're out of time for the map. We're out of time for the map, and now we're going to talk to our friend Jeremy Corbell, and we're going to talk to him about his new movie about Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar, the Area 51 guy. The guy who said he worked on flying saucers. Welcome to the program, Jeremy. So this story starts in Las Vegas, actually in the desert north of Las Vegas, in 1989. A man named Bob Lazar came forward on the news with reporter George Knapp and said that he was part of a program, a government program, to attempt and reverse engineer, back engineer, 
alien spacecraft, an alien propulsion system, a gravity wave amplification system, a non-reactionary system, a field propulsion system. We're talking about hardware, alien hardware, extraterrestrial hardware from another world. And he claimed he was part of that program, a military program to make these devices using earthly materials and he said it was a fool's errand there was absolutely no way to do it and recently he said that he thinks these were recovered through an archaeological dig of some sort as if they are ancient in some way so that's bob lazar that's why you know about area 51 that's why you've heard that term it's because of bob lazar and it's because of george knapp in 1989 and they have put forward this story that forever changed popular culture from X-Files and the craft running on something called Element 115. They got that from Bob Lazar, from Independence Day. And the craft, that's the Bob Lazar character when they go and look at the alien spacecraft. It has permeated all culture, the Bob Lazar story. And so that is what this story is about. However, he's like a mix between Elvis and Sasquatch. He is ungettable. He has barely talked over 30 years because George Knapp's the only one that could pull a few minutes out of him. He is a reluctant UFO messiah. He does not do interviews, barely, except for with George throughout the years. And he definitely doesn't make you know, the, the circuit tours on UFO pounds. He runs a scientific business out of Michigan and he is almost disinterested. He is disinterested in the popular UFO culture. However, my charming personality, I was able to convince him to allow me to make a movie about his life and bring people up to date. So that is why I'm excited, Ken. Now, Bob Lazar was no shrinking violet. He had a deal with New Line Cinema to make a movie in the early 90s. He had branded merchandise with the tester models and all of that. So are you saying that recently he became more private? Because he was all over the place, and I'm sure, I mean, what is the story? Let me ask you this. What, what happened to his New Line film deal? Yeah, okay, so let's kind of get to the crux of this. You know, Bob has never pursued capitalizing off of his UFO story. Everybody around him and their mothers have tried to almost merchandise Bob Lazar himself. He has stayed true to the story. Yes, it is um, fact that at one point New Line Cinema was going to do a major motion picture. But Bob is so strict with telling the story as it happened. He probably only agreed to that because he was told that it was going to come out just like the story happened. He wanted people to know the story. The moment they started fictionalizing anything, they put in too much stuff to distract from the actual story. He is interested in the science and the technology. So the one restriction he put on me is I could not fabricate anything to sensationalize it. And look, that was easy to do because the story is sensational in and of itself. But it is true. No filmmaker, no film company have ever been able to break through that sound barrier and make a movie on Bob Lazar. And after 30 years, I'm proud to say I did it. And this is your third documentary in a row about American alien and UFO mythology. That's right. Patient 17 was first, then it was Hunt for the Skinwalker. And this will be the third one I always wanted to make called Bob Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Saucers. For 30 years, Bob Lazar has almost allowed people to twist and distort his story because he, he didn't correct them. And his critics have been holding the mic 
for 30 years. And it's time to take the mic back. It's time to write the story and it's time to correct the inaccuracies. If you want to dismiss a message, you simply need to dehumanize the messenger. And this is precisely what is done by intelligence agencies, what is, what is done by, by governments. This tactic has been used against Bob Lazar for the last 30 years. And this is one of the things that is so tragic about the story. And that's one of the things we're trying to remedy with this movie, because dehumanizing the messenger is an attempt to take away the power of the story. If you give Bob Lazar the benefit of the doubt, you have to consider the implications. He might speak softly and he might speak gently, but what he's saying has atomic energy. The concept, not only that we are not alone in the universe, but that we have been and are being visited by an intelligent, highly technologically advanced culture of beings. We do live in a different world now. We live in a world where since December of 2017, it was admitted by the United States military that they have an ongoing program and interest in the UFO topic and chasing these AADs, anomalous aerial vehicles, these UFOs, these craft that way outpace anything that we have and humans have ever been able to make with propulsion systems that appear completely different than a reactionary propulsion system. We now live in a world where we know this is true, which sheds a completely different light on the story of Bob Lazar and back engineering an alien propulsion system for the United States military. We can no longer dismiss his story because it's uncomfortable. We now have to look at it from a factual standpoint and try to determine for ourselves reality. Now, Bob Lazar has always been a very polarizing figure among people who already believe in UFOs. You need to be skeptical. If you're not skeptical, then you're, you're never going to land anywhere where you have an opinion that is based upon a foundation where you can utilize it for any type of action. So you need to be skeptical. What you're talking about are two things. One is the concept of belief, and I want to hit upon that. But you're also specifically asking about the education of Bob Lazar. This is the one thing that the detractors go to and try to pick apart, that he, he lied about his education, that he didn't go to MIT or Caltech, and that that debases his entire story. So let's get to the core of this. When people do that, these people, they simply want to be able to determine. It's not about the schooling. They want to determine, is Bob Lazar a liar or is he not? Yeah, they want to know if he should be trusted because of what he's saying about UFOs. So they're picking on this education thing, which he's never been able to prove. I've never been able to prove. George Knapp has never been able to prove. So we need to come to the determination. If we can't prove it, then what's the worst case scenario? Let's accept that. Okay, worst case scenario would be that he lied about it to get a job at Los Alamos. Because guess what? We know for a fact he was a working physicist at the Maison Particle Accelerator at Los Alamos, just like he said. And in my film, I prove it again. It was proved in 1989, it's proven again. So I don't care if he was homeschooled. I care if he worked on flying saucers. And the fact that we can prove that he worked as a physicist at Los Alamos with a Q clearance it is then plausible. And his story actually completely adds up about meeting Ed Teller the you know godfather of the atomic bomb and ed teller bringing him into this secret cabal program of 22 people the back engineer alien spacecraft 
So even if we accept the worst case scenario, we can't prove it or it's not true. Either one is fine with me. What I do know is that there is an S4 south of Area 51 that is confirmed in 1989 by George Knapp. Nobody knew that before Bob Lazar said it. Nowhere. It was not printed anywhere. It was not publicized. How did he know? How did he know that there would be test flights of something that looked identical to a flying saucer on Wednesday nights in the middle of the desert south of Area 51? Not even at Area 51. How did he know? He showed that on three different occasions, three different weekends, to groups of people, groups of friends. And I've talked to them all. Not all of them. Talked to most of them. But they all confirmed that story. Right. So let's go to the story a little bit because it is a very interesting part of the pre-media Bob Lazar story. This is just Lazar and his friends and his wife. They're driving out to the south end of the Groom Lake test area on certain nights. Yeah, they were caught on the third trip. So here's the short of it. Bob Lazar couldn't tell his wife, like any employee, even just working at Area 51, can't tell their families or wives or partners that they are working out on special projects other than saying, I go out there. They could say that. So he had to go to work at very strange times. Now, he allowed his phone to be tapped. So at the time, his wife thought he was cheating on her. She started cheating on him, and they were tapping his lines as he allowed them to do that, to monitor his calls, and they found out his wife was cheating on him. So if you're working on highly sensitive government projects, that is considered instability, and you need to have stability. So they stopped calling him to work. He got scared because of all the stuff he knew. He also wanted to show his friends that he wasn't lying. So on three different occasions, he took out close friends of his and his wife at the time to witness or view these test flights of a flying saucer over Paku Slate. And they did so at a distance. And on one occasion, they filmed it on their third trip out. They got busted. They got busted by security and by local deputies. And they were uh, held and detained shortly, you know, for a short amount of time. The next day, his boss, Dennis Mariani, picks him up and they take him to a base. And at gunpoint, they threaten his life and his wife's life. That was real. That happened. So in many ways, the Bob Lazar story, there are elements that can be verified. You need to take in everything. Bob Lazar is not prone to fantasy. He does not fictionalize. Everybody says, you know, tries to make it seem like because Bob Lazar has gone bankrupt or because Bob Lazar installed security cameras at a brothel or they can't prove his education. Everybody tries to pin on Bob something on his character, which is simply not true. And that is they try to make him seem unstable. They try to make him seem untrustworthy. And I have found exactly the opposite. As Mickey Rourke says in my film, beliefs are material things. They, they shape us. And we need to be careful what we believe. If you give Bob a chance to tell you his story, not twisted, not diluted, not distorted versions, but from the man himself, you won't have the luxury of disbelief if you hear all the facts. Is it possible that Bob Lazar was fooled or he was tricked by an intelligence agency to permeate this UFO lore across the globe? And let me tell you, Bob has even thought about that. But we have a problem with that theory. Bob has always differentiated between the things that he physically saw and touched and knows and the things he was shown and told and read while being briefed 
for this project of reverse engineering alien spacecraft. So on one level, he'll say, I don't know if the things I read in the briefings are true. They were black and white. They were words on paper. I can't tell you that was true. I, however, I did see, he says, I did see images of autopsies of alien beings. Those, those were photographs. But what he knows for sure is what he had his physical hands on. And you cannot fake this. This is where he gets firm with it. You cannot fake what he was shown. You cannot fake gravity distortion. Unlike your previous two documentaries, you have brought in some outside firepower for this one. Why don't you tell me about the narrator? That's right. Oscar-nominated actor Mickey Rourke is doing the narration for the film. Bob Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Saucers. It launches officially December 4th. It unlocks, but you can pre-order it now. The world premiere, the live world premiere on December 3rd. That's going to be at the theater at the Ace Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. I would get them online in advance because we're thinking it's going to sell out. ExtraordinaryBeliefs.com. alien myself, I remember when the Lazar story started showing up on the Area 51 news groups back in 1989. And whatever you think of Lazar's story, there's no denying that this tale of reverse-engineered flying saucers was just what America wanted at the dawn of our most paranoid era. The paranoid era we are still in. It's history, it's internet culture, it's American folklore, and for those reasons, if you're in Los Angeles on Monday night, December 3rd, head over to the theater at the Ace Hotel in downtown L.A. and see the premiere. Bob Lazar will be there to take your questions and abuse. What a strange chapter in American history. Not as strange as the current one. Although they are all connected, all connected by paranoia and old-fashioned scams and a lot of lonely people looking up at the skies and wondering and hoping. Wondering and hoping that maybe there's something else, maybe something better. But I do it myself. Look up at the sky anyway. Thanks to everybody who turned up at the Campfire Circle at the Palm Springs Ace Hotel for our Desert Oracle Campfire Stories last Wednesday night. We've got one more night scheduled down there in the low desert for this blessed, cursed year of 2018. Thursday, December 27, that's two nights after Christmas. I'll be there at the Fire Ring from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. telling tales of the desert of monstrosities, both human and supernatural. You've been listening to Desert Oracle Radio, broadcasting from Joshua Tree, California, Fridays at 10 p.m. across the Mojave on KCDZ 107.7 FM from Amboy to Zizix. Thanks, as always, to Red, Blue, Black, Silver for the musical soundscapes he composes here in the high desert, especially for this program. 
we are distributed everywhere on the internet and by public radio exchange, PRX. I'm your host, Ken Lane. Good night from the Voice of the Desert. <laughs>